Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is William T. Volman. He is the National Book Award winning author of Europe Central, The Lesbian, which Viking retitled to The Morning Star, Rising Up and Rising Down, The Royal Family, Carbon Ideologies, Poor People, The Dying Grass, and many, many more. He is currently responsible for three of the top ten rated episodes in Bookin' podcast history. His new collections are Shadows of Love, Shadows of Loneliness, which are published by our friends at an unnamed press in Rare Bird. Bill, welcome back to the program. Uh, Well, thanks for having me, Jason. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to have you here, as always, Bill. And uh, yeah, first, um, I last saw you when you were in uh, North Carolina, my former home, doing research for your novel, A Table for Fortune. Uh, You've had a bit of a rough go of it since then, Bill, but I feel the tables are turning in your favor. Um, How are you doing today? And if you feel like talking about it, what's the status of this upcoming novel, which I believe is finished? Yes, well, um, um, I have um, two European publishers who seem interested, and they tell me if they can get a third publisher from the third country, um, then they might be able to get some money from the EU Ministry of Culture to uh, to translate it. You know, it's a, it's a pretty long book, and so they estimate to translate into three different languages is probably a million euros. Mm. So that's going to keep them busy for a while. And um, let's see. Yeah, Viking fired me. Uh, Knopf turned the book down, and Grove is looking at it right now. So mm. uh, everything is grinding along, as always. Absolutely. And uh, Grove, if you're listening, uh, pick this book up. Let's get it out there into the world. Um <laughs> Thank you. Well, let's now move on to your new collections, uh, Shadows of Love, Shadows of Loneliness, which is a way to say, uh, let's talk about your entire artistic career. Uh, And I know you are both happy and unhappy with these volumes, uh, which I welcome you to talk about if you like. I know your displeasure has been well documented elsewhere. But what I really want to know is uh, why release these now, um, when you probably have uh, many more years of photographing and painting left, and why date the collections to 2020? I know I've seen you with your camera since then. Well, um, yeah, they were uh, they were supposed to be published in 2020, mm. and uh, and I have been um, disappointed with this these two publishers on a couple of counts. Um, the uh, the copy editing is quite poor. Um, the um, the reproductions, ninety percent of them are adequate, and then some um, are just um, almost jet black, you know, or washed out. You know, the, that's kind of a disgrace. Um, they uh, they released an audio book of the photo book, so I heard. <laughs> I've never seen it, but yeah. they released it last January when. Um, when the text was in even worse shape, and I have no idea what it looks like, but I wish my name weren't on it. Mm. And then uh, finally, I was I was kind of peeved that um, they blamed the uh, 
um, the delay in the release on my grief for my uh, daughter's death instead of on, on some people's incompetence. But um, anyway, I, I wouldn't quibble except, you know, I don't want the readers to think that I, um, that I do shoddy work. So I apologize for that. And, uh, um, and now I don't have to complain about these books for the rest of the hour, which is all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Bill, um, despite your displeasure, I think that they are fantastic volumes, uh, but I know, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I know you want them to be perfect. So I understand your disappointment as well. Um, you talk about this towards the end of the introduction to your first volume, Shadows of Love, uh, which listeners, I should mention Shadows of Love is a collection of Bill's photography over the course of his working life in Shadows of Loneliness is Bill's uh, visual artwork and other mediums, both works of genius. But Bill, you write about this, but for our listeners who may think of you primarily as a writer, uh, which came first, the writing, the painting, the woodprinting, or the photography? Um, I would say, you know, everything at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if I pick up a, a pencil, I don't know whether I'm going to write something or draw a picture, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I like to um, to make records of things that um, that seem really beautiful or seem really upsetting, and people should know about them. And um, sometimes words are best, and sometimes um, a picture really says it. You know, um, mm. um, the uh, the picture of the um, the prison cage in Kinshasa in the Congo. I mean, it's pretty awful and uh um i probably wouldn't have believed it if i hadn't seen it um so um i figure that you know as i probably say every time i'm I'm on your podcast jason you know that that i try to follow um thoreau who says that it's important to never let our knowledge get in the way of our ignorance and so as long as i remember that um I don't really know that much. I have a chance of learning something. And so that's how I try to, to look at my, um, my artwork and my photographs and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Bill. And why and how did you branch out into so many, uh, sort of esoteric means of film development? Well, um, you know, one of the, uh, the vexing things about, photography is um, coming up um, with a um, you know a reasonable tonal range for an archival color process mm-hmm. um, the only true archival color sauce uh, process um, is uh, carbon printing which you can you can do in four colors or more um, the gum prints that I do um, are sort of um, a poor man's version. Um, they're they're very um, very archival and um, they are somewhat similar in their process. But um, with a gum print, you don't actually peel the emulsion off like some kind of a decal and then carefully overlay it on other emulsions. Um, Gum printing uh, dates back to the 19th century. It's a very, very 
uh, toxic and slow and to some people very underwhelming process because um, you can't get um, a lot of sharpness. You can get very good contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, platinum printing is a beautiful archival black and white process. Um, I use that from time to time. Um, and of course, silver gelatin is uh, uh, is very, very convenient and relatively archival. Um, if you do everything right, you know, the two fixing bath and all the rest, um, you know, you have hope of, of your work lasting for three to 500 years. Mm. Um, so um, with the silver gelatin, sometimes I take, um, you know, a view camera, um, like an 810, I've got a couple of those, there's an Thank you so much for that answer, Bill. Um, to throw one of your yeah, to throw one of your quotes back at you here. Uh, how is a photograph a source of fact which never ceases to be a fountain of questions? Well, um, I remember when I was writing my book, Poor People, mm-hmm. and I happened to be um, in Kazakhstan, mm-hmm. and uh, the. Uh, the Russian elite had been um, kind of turned out on its ass, you know, uh, after Gorbachev mm-hmm. and the collapse of the USSR. Yeah. So um, um, most of the Russians had never bothered to learn Kazakh, and it was kind of too late now. You know, there were school teachers, you know, retired in their 60s, and they were out shoveling snow for a living, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of bleak. And the, the Kazakhs, you know, um, um, looked on the Russians with resentment because they'd been in power beforehand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's sort of a, um, almost a tonality, you'd say, for these pictures. You're going to see, uh, if you take a picture of, you know, some poor old Russian lady who used to be a, a school teacher, and now she's shoveling snow, um, the more you know about the situation, the more it makes sense. Um, but you can look at um, photos without a lot of context. I remember this one picture I took of a poor old Russian babushka, and um, um, it was not a very safe place, so I 
took the picture and paid her and went on and forgot about it. And it wasn't until I was printing the picture that I was looking at her face, you know. Uh, her mouth was just open, kind of like this hole of anguish. And I realized that she was, she was really, really suffering, and I didn't have time to get that because I had to watch out for myself. Mm. And um, so when I look at that picture of her, I feel a certain amount of guilt and also an obligation. Yeah, let's have other people look at this, and maybe if she's seen by somebody, it might help somebody. Probably not her. Mm. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Yeah, thank you so much, Bill. Um, speaking of questions, in your writing, you often ask questions of the reader, uh, which is a technique used often in, say, uh, 19th century literature. Um, why do you do this? Are you inviting your readers into a conversation with the text? And if so, do you feel like this is why uh, many readers who read you tend to be extremely involved with and invested in your work? Oh, well, that's nice of you to say. Um, and, um, you know, if I, if I ask the readers um, questions, it's often because... Um, I'm not certain, and, uh, you know, I want to explain how I got, you know, from A to B, and maybe someone else would do it differently. Um, and, um, you know, you can be pretty sure that um, that if you know how it is, you're wrong. So mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully I don't know how it is so I can last a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks, Bill. Um You seem to be writing a lot about mortality lately. Uh, You mentioned earlier your daughter, Lisa, passing away, and I'm so, so sorry for this lost bill. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, for sure. I I can't imagine, Bill. um, And I'm not asking you about Lisa, but what I am asking is about your writing about mortality in general, both in these collections that were recently published and in your recent Harper's essay, uh, why so much about mortality and why um, do you keep uh, mentioning that you believe your career is winding down? I sort of feel that I'm, I'm approaching the end. Um, you know, I'm not in great health. Um, um, you know, my, my cancer's in remission, but, you know, you were so kind to me, Jason, when I, I came out there and you took me around and, and helped me a lot. Um, um, so now I, I have a, a hometown for my CIA character, <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. it was it was really wonderful. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know whether I can even do that again. Yeah. Um, you know, you saw I was I was not especially well, and you had had to listen to me dealt with acid reflux all the mm-hmm. time. You were really, really kind to me, and your family is the greatest. You know, I had a lot of fun with them. But, um, you know, it, it just gets uh, harder and harder to, to do anything in my career. Um, the last couple books with Viking, um, you know, they were telling me I couldn't do this and couldn't do that. And um, I would say that most of the people I know um, um, can't read uh, well enough. I can't read well enough myself, but a lot of it is the fact that people are eternally interrupted mm-hmm. by smartphones or emails or whatever, and 
so they actually never have a time to uh, to give space um, to anything demanding, you know. And it's like, well, the world doesn't own me a living, but I do see that um, that fewer people um, want to read, uh, you know, long, difficult books. Um, and uh, my my German subagent says it's the same over there. Mm. Um, Last year, um, my uh, my federal net income was zero, and of course that's because um, I wasn't up for much, uh, feeling upset about Lisa and so forth. But um, um, it is getting harder for sure. Uh, before the internet, you know, I could sell something to a magazine. The magazine would would butcher it, and I would be happy with that, and I'd get paid. And then it would come out my way in a book. Um, now with the internet, you know, they take it and post it, and then um, um, you can't uh, sell it twice. And you know, there's an argument to be made that that I shouldn't be able to sell it twice. You know, that um, that I'm sort of taking advantage. But mm-hmm. the fact is, um, um, it's uh, it's not a not a really um, easy business, and. Fortunately, um, um, I have a, a high tolerance for uh, for discomfort, um, and so if I have to give up things, I will. Uh, um, I just don't see, um, um, you know, literary publishing um, of the kind that I like to do. You know, um, thriving. You know, I, I remember. Uh, um, when uh, when Viking was in the, the process of firing me, I was told, well, you know, they're more into women's wellness now. And <laughs> I don't knock women's wellness, um, but it's not what I what I write about um, because I'm not a woman and I'm not well. <laughs> so right. I better not. Um, anyway, all I can do is my best. And, mm-hmm. um, um, and if it doesn't work out, you know, I'll try to be a big boy. <laughs> yeah, um, I appreciate that, Bill. But let me. So, first, I recognize that uh, where I am currently in in Aspen, Colorado, I'm living in a bubble right now. No, I, I have never lived right. anywhere that's a, that's like this. But, um, you know, here our customer base at Explore Booksellers like they do want to read the big literary novels, uh, and people are buying. Yeah, and one of our best sellers is, uh, that's not a literary novel is a book called How to Break Up with Your Phone because I believe that people are seeing that they're being interrupted by emails and, and text messages and apps that are, you know, just like slot machines um, over and over, and it's disrupting Yeah, it's disrupting their life. And um, now, you know, with that in mind, uh, I'm going to bring up a memory of one of the times that you came. I believe this was in 2016, the first time you came. Uh, to North Carolina for for the book festival that we were running there. And uh, I was driving you around with a, a video game creator. His name is Davey Redden. He wrote a video game called The Stanley Parable. And in his field, you know, he's, he's a, a pretty big deal. And um, the two of you were talking, um, and you were asking Davey about the video games that he makes. And you said, well, don't you uh, ever wonder 
you know, how long the medium that you're working in will survive into the future because technology is often changing and evolving and maybe a game that he creates this year won't, won't you know, be available to purchase in two years. So do you ever think yeah. that even while people are so distracted by smartphones and such now that maybe uh, there is a future where people kind of rebel and do look for these uh, big literary novels of the type that you're writing? I hope so. Yeah. And um, one of the nice things um, about owning a book is that once you buy it, you're done. Yeah. Um, it's not some kind of utility, something that you rent for life, like with the Kindle. And um, you don't need a power source to read it. You can you can sit down, you know, in your palace or in a dump and read the book and. No one knows when you read it. It's no one's business. Um, um, I really love books. And um, I think that, um, um, yeah, it would be nice if if more people started um, wondering if the, the price they pay for this so-called convenience is, is worth it. Um, um, it always amazes me when... Uh, you know, I go into some business and they ask me my email and I say, oh, I don't have it. And they say, oh, yeah, okay, but uh, uh, well, how do we reach you by email? They just don't know what to do. Right. It's the funniest thing. Yeah. And uh, so that makes me all the more determined not to have email. Um, that stuff was starting to uh, to come out um, when uh, I went to the Congo for Men's Journal. It was kind of a a nasty story um, right before I went they said well Bill you have to have to be able to check in with us in case we change the plan and I said well if you're going to change the plan I definitely don't want to check in with you I just want to do it once so I did it my way they rejected the story and I put it in rising up and rising down and got my 25% kill fee and so um you know, that was a typical success for Bill, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, thank you so much, Bill. Uh, listeners, oh, sure. yeah, listeners, we're going to pause here for a word from Libro FM Audiobooks, and then I will be right back with William T. Volman. Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with William T. Volman, author of Shadows of Love and Shadows of Loneliness, two volumes published by our friends at an unnamed press in Rare Bird. Bill, you write that the heart, untroubled by atrocity, is dead. Uh, can you unpack this quote for us and then tell us uh, what is the percentage of people living in the USA whose hearts are untroubled by atrocity versus, say, uh, the percentage of people in Russia or Iraq? Yeah, that's a good question. And 
I wish I knew. Um, one of the uh, the alarming things that I see um, about the U.S. now um, is that um, the whatever education people are getting um, um, really seems more and more shallow and uh, more uh, you know just for the the convenience of the ruling class. I mean. You look at uh, some of the stuff that they're doing in the red states and banning this book and banning that book. And then, yeah, um, if, um, uh, you know, say straight heterosexuals don't have to think about, um, you know, the, the misery and humiliation that a transgender teenager goes through because that book has been banned, then... Um, they're untroubled by that atrocity, and that's maybe that's good for them. But um, but I don't I don't think it's very good. I I think that uh, um, that we owe it to our brothers and sisters to to do whatever we can, and that means it's never going to be enough. But um, I would rather um, not turn my backs on them. Um, it's it's actually it's funny, you know, how difficult it is to. Um, um, to get people from another socioeconomic class mm -hmm. um, to trust you. Yeah. And until they trust you, you don't really know um, what their problems are. And, um, and then if you want their take on something, you know, like um, what's going on in Gaza or something, um, they probably have an opinion so then they would say, "Oh, see, I'm not, I'm troubled by atrocity because, uh, you know, um, I know it's all the fault of the Muslims or all the fault of the Jews, and now I don't have to figure it out anymore." Mm -hmm. And um, so um, that works for them, and that's probably how it works for um, most people in the world. Um, um, you know, when I went to Bangladesh for carbon ideologies. People were so nice. They said, "Yeah, we have to have a coal plant here because, you know, um, we need air conditioning and electricity and all this stuff." And um, most of these people had never heard of climate change, and I would try to describe it, and they just couldn't get it and, and couldn't worry about it. Mm. Um, so um, you could say that um, that they had been very well educated. Um, to um, to permit some um, some coal mining disaster, this place up in uh, Barakuparia where I was, um, um, it's going to create a vast number of refugees, uh, and this is one of the the bread baskets of uh, Bangladesh. Um, it's going to be ruined. Um, but um, people over there don't understand what's happening, and of course. People over here don't understand that. Why should they, in a way? And um, what good does it do me to even know this? It, it's just kind of discouraging, but it would be more discouraging just to turn my back on it. Um, and by the way, Jason, I'm really sorry um, if today um, I just sound like this this cranky old man. <laughs> um, I'm actually... Um, I'm grateful for the fact that I'm still able to learn something about other people, and um, I'm grateful to 
unnamed and rare bird, uh, in spite of their screw-ups. Uh, I'm happy that the stuff is out there. And, uh, and most of all, I'm really um, grateful to my readers, um, uh, without whom I might have to ultimately work for a living or be homeless, like Lisa. But um, it was fun, um, you know, coming to Raleigh, a couple times and seeing some of the same people. Um, I always like making friends with the readers and then I feel like I can learn something from them. Absolutely, Bill. And um, you do not sound like a cranky old man to me. It's hard uh, to live in this world as long as you have and not be cranky, much less having traveled to the different places you have and not be cranky about things. So the fact that you can uh, make a disclaimer uh, and and kind of, you know, put a silver lining on things is remarkable, in my opinion. Um, thank you, my friend. Well, thank you, Bill. Um you, uh, speaking of, of Muslims, which you just brought up, um, how does the American simplification about Muslims since September 11th, 2001, compare uh, to the Serbian one from 1989 forward, which you write about in one of your new volumes? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, when, when Yugoslavia broke up, um, the Serbs were saying, oh, yeah, um, the wicked Muslims, you know, they have these um, these terrorist brigades um, helping out, you know, Sarajevo. It's like this international thing, and, uh, and it's really, really scary. And then um, the, uh, the American news media were saying, oh, that's, that's baloney, and um, um, the poor Muslims, they're victims, you know, of the wicked Serbs, which... They were, and the wicked Serbs were victims too. Mm-hmm. But um, those same people, you know, um, now uh, we describe pretty much the way the Serbs did. Um, and it turns out that um, um, the Serbs were right to some extent um, that uh, Saudi Arabia, among others, um, was um, opening up madrasas all over the world and um, you know when I was in Sarajevo um, the Muslims were quite secular Um, you know you didn't see very many women wearing a hijab and um, you know people would would drink alcohol and party and so forth and um, it was not really that that big a deal to them when I went back um, um, the Saudis had made some inroads and there were a lot of, you know, people with long beards and um, um, I felt a certain um, hostility between them and some of the locals. Um, they were saying, oh, you know, um, um, cemeteries are against Islam, so let's destroy all these graves. You know, they, they were really kind of pushing it. Hmm. But um, it's so strange. Um, you know, um, I first went to Afghanistan in 1982, and then uh, I went back there the year before September 11th. Um, actually, uh, <laughs> I've been doing a bunch of interviews in Kabul, and I was getting really tired, and, um, and this one man said, oh, uh, would you like to meet this guy? His name is Osama bin Laden. 
and poor stupid Bill said, no, I'm tired. I don't know who he is. I'm going to bed. Um, but um, one of the things that, um, that I would like to express about Muslims, if I can, mm-hmm. is that um, they are so kind um, to strangers, to beggars, to outsiders like me, you know, um, um, when I've gotten lost, some guy will put me on, on the back of his bike or on the handlebars and ride me somewhere and say, oh, it's our, it's our duty, Mr. William, don't think about it. Hmm. And um, um, they they have many different shades of opinion. You know, the, uh, the Talibs tend to think of things as more um, black and white. That's their particular version of, of Islam. But um, Islam um, is a lovely religion. Um, it's a uh, it's a religion of of tolerance in many ways. And um, anytime um, um, a religion becomes a theocracy, um, there are going to be things about it that I don't like. And um, there are many um, Muslim ideologues who say, okay, this is how it has to be. Sharia law, this and that. And it doesn't matter if 100% of the people vote to overturn that. It can't be done because that's going against Islam. Mm -hmm. And so if you're comfortable with that, great, you know. Um, But um, there's a lot to... A lot to unpack uh, when people looking at, you know, at other people looking back at them. Um, and uh, I would say, yeah, most of my most of my neighbors here um, know almost nothing about Muslims. But then um, I remember uh, the first time I went to Iraq. It was between the two Gulf Wars. I came back and told my neighbors, you know, we're still at war with them. You know, we're sanctioning them. Um, you know, the school girls can't get pencils because they're worried that the graphite and the pencils will be used to make nuclear reactors. Um, and my neighbors said, no, Bill, that's, that's not true. We're not, we're not at war with them. And, you know, we're not that way. We're really kind. And then um, <laughs> um, when we were invading uh, Iraq the second time, you know, my friends were saying, you know, Bill, I just don't understand it. We're trying to help them out, and they're mean. They keep killing us. I mean, we're, we're really trying to, you know, to straighten them out, get rid of Saddam Hussein. We're going to make them free. Why don't they like us? <laughs> mm. <laughs> so um, that's, I guess, kind of a, a very long and windy answer. But, um, um yeah, there are brothers and sisters, and they're and they're different. And um, um, what's really discouraging is when um, people just lock themselves into a position that gives no oxygen to the other position. So that's what we're seeing now with Gaza, and uh, um, and it's so typical. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's how how humans are. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for that answer, Bill. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. 
You write, Bill, that you would like to prove that even in impoverished locales, it is possible to make a difference. Uh, One, can you explain this? And two, uh, could this be your mission statement if you had to pick one? Yeah, well, it's it's not a bad um, mission statement. Um, um, I think that um, by going to a neighborhood or a country that we don't know um, and not trying to, um, to teach them anything, um, just go and see what they are, who they are, and keep quiet and just listen and learn. Um, there's a good chance um, that you will figure something out about people that you haven't figured out, and it's possible as an outsider that you will figure things out that they didn't figure out, and you kind of accidentally uh, give them a little help. I remember when I was writing um, Imperial, um, I had a, uh, a field worker friend named Lupe Vasquez, who was really a, a wonderful guy, really, really tough. Just what uh, what a miserable life he endured, you know, getting up at four in the morning, going across the border, and feeling terrible, you know, maybe buying a beer or something before you start, and it's just one crop and another crop and another crop. And, um, but um, Lupe was often getting ripped off. And um, um, there were these, these men who would sort of prey on the field workers. They'd be waiting right across the border, and then they'd charge them, you know, $8 or $20 to take them way up north to the field in Holdville or El Centro or whatever. And um, so we were going to interview some people a little ways north. And, um, so I said, Lupe, you want to grab a taxi? We tried it out, and he found out that um, the taxis, you know, were about 25% of the cost of these other guys. And so um, I was sort of uh, accidentally able to do something um, you know, to help him, help him save money. And, uh, you know, when that kind of thing happens, I can't really take credit for it, but, um, but it makes me feel good. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Bill. Um, we talked a little bit about technology earlier, and I'm going to uh, throw a question back at you that you asked of your readers here. Uh, do you think the time will come when every face all over the world can be identified by police wearing virtual recognition goggles? Oh, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, um, the consolation is um, that uh, that it's not going to last very long um, because our so-called civilization is on the skids now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just laugh. Every time, you know, I, I get my morning New York Times, oh, let's see. Mm, yeah, the, uh, the glaciers are melting faster than the worst-case scenario. And um, um, if we did all the things that we say we're going to do, 
it still wouldn't be enough, and we're not doing them. And it's a joke, you know? Um, um, and I don't know how, how funny the joke will be, you know, as, mm-hmm. as more and more people die. But um, I think that, um, you know, the, the hope that, uh, that a lot of, of corporations have and, and ideologues of all stripes that, um, that everybody will be under surveillance, I say, yeah, let them have it. You know, let them, let them think that they're really going to be able to control us because um, how could it last? It really can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much, Bill. Um, finally, uh, for now, as uh, I hope we will talk again when a table for fortune is published, if not before. And let me add, Bill, that if no one else scoops this up, I will publish it myself or get one of my friends to, and we, we'll win you that Nobel Prize that you deserve. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you. And, and you have uh, have a, a very uh, grateful acknowledgement in the book because you, you really helped me. Um, just um, that one day we went up and poked around in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. It was enough. And so um, um, Dave, whose real name is Elliot, is from Fayetteville. Now I have it. Thanks to you. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Bill. I'm always, always uh, happy and willing to help. Um, but finally, you write that facing the most hideous realities is less terrifying than half facing them or trying not to face them. Uh, can you elaborate on this quote, maybe with an example or two? Um, I remember um, reading that in some places, um, when the Nazis were about to uh, execute a bunch of hostages, hmm. um, you know, and... Um, you know, they were good, efficient types, as we all know, and they really wanted, um, you know, to create um, uh, maximum fear and horror for the people waiting. And they found out that um, if there was a curtain, um, and behind the curtain was the gallows, and uh, the people waiting would see um, the feet, you know, the shoes and socks of the person um, who had just been hanged, dropping down below the curtain. And that's all they could see. You know, they'd see the feet twitch. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, a charming Nazi way of making people feel worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tend to think, all right, I've learned from that. Knowing is always better than not knowing, I think. However bad it is, it's better just to say, okay, now, what can I do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that's probably also, um, you know, the way I am as a, as a Scandinavian. You know, we, we Scandinavians are, are gloom and doom types. Uh, even our, uh, our religion, you know, the religion of the Norse gods, yep. Um, Odin and Thor, they're all going to die at the end. The Fenris wolf's going to come, the Midgar serpent. And, uh, but all the same, they have to be tough and they have to be brave because they can't get out of it, even though they're going to lose. And uh, um, it's, uh, it's a very hard philosophy, but, um, but it suits me. 
Um, and so, um, yeah, if I would rather uh, know what's behind the curtain and say, all right, Bill, well, let's, let's see if you can uh, toughen up and don't let those Nazis see that you're afraid. <laughs> mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Bill, as always, and thank you for putting together these magnificent volumes, which will sit alongside uh, the other works of genius, the Book of Dolores and Imperial, on my shelves for the rest of my life. Listeners. Uh, you're the greatest. <laughs> oh, thanks, Bill. Um, um, and I would love to, uh, uh, to come out and see you again, my friend, mm. and um, if you ever want to go on a road trip with me, you are more than welcome. Oh, I'd love to, Bill, and we'd love to have you out to Aspen. And uh, also, um, I'd love to come out to Sacramento and maybe visit some of my um, my friends in San Francisco right. and Sacramento while I'm there and uh, see see uh, what your hometown is all about, Bill. I haven't been there since Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger was governor. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> um, yeah, it is uh, blue pub heaven here and really good coffee, too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to have you come out. Yeah, well, you know you know how I like my coffee, Bill. Um, <laughs> I do. <laughs> yes. Well, listeners, I've been speaking with William T. Volman, author of the dual volumes Shadows of Love, Shadows of Loneliness, which are published by Our Friends at an unnamed press in Rare Bird. Bill, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Jason. And, um, um, and I hope I did an adequate job for someone without sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I would like to thank William T. Volman for joining me. Copies of Shadows of Love and Shadows of Loneliness can be purchased from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code Bookin, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.